0: Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. In this Study Saturday, we have a replay of one of our most popular episodes, Pastor David Rosenau, and his keynote address at the Leadership Conference in Chicago back in January, talking about one by one revitalizing a congregation. Here goes. Good morning. morning. It's an understatement to say this is a privilege to share anything with you. To God be the glory for any and all things that he does through people like us. I was greeting people outside on the very first Sunday at St. Mark in Leesburg when Joanne walked up a small, thin, frail woman who looked like she must have had a severe stroke I shook her hand and I said are you a member she said I haven't been in a church for over 40 years I said this is great because I don't even know if I'm coming back next week and I said why are you here she said my sister's visiting from out of town and she said she'd like to go to church you're the closest one It's okay with me. Her sister and brother-in-law walked up, and I said, good morning. In the conversation, I asked if she was Lutheran. She said, I'm Methodist, but I don't care where I go. And I asked her husband, how about you? He said, I'm nothing. I said, you guys aren't going to believe this. This is my very first Sunday, and this morning I prayed, Lord, please bring me a Methodist and a nothing. (laughs) And here you are. (laughs) After church, I asked Joanne, what do you think? Should we come back? She said, I think you should, but I'm not going to. (laughs) I don't have the courage to come by myself. I said, I'll be waiting outside for you, Joanne. I've got courage for both of us. I'll walk you in. She came. On a home visit, Joanne shared that she did not believe there is a heaven. When this life ends, everything else ends with it. And I also learned she had not had a stroke. Many years earlier, she was working in her office in New York late at night so that she could pick up her husband from the airport. He'd been overseas on business. Someone broke in and brutally assaulted her and left her for dead. They found her crumpled up under her desk the next morning and thought she was. She was in recovery for more than three years. Now, she also had leukemia. Her husband, Richard, did not believe there was a God. If there was, where was he when Joanne was attacked? And where was he when their one-year-old grandson had a brain tumor? And I can tell you right now, he said, God did not write that Bible. Men wrote that but I'm not going to think less of you if you want to believe he did. I said, I can't convince you that heaven is real. I can't convince you that God is God, but God can. This might sound crazy, but I'm going to ask you to please come and take a Bible information class that I'm starting. No obligations. You can walk away. But at least I'll know that I did everything I could. He said, thanks, Dave. We'll get back with you. (laughs) I said, okay. And I sat, and I almost got up to leave, and I said, you know what? I don't think I lose anything if I make you mad. But I don't think I just walked away from the coolest job in the world and took my family away from all their friends and family, sat in a stuffy classroom for eight years, to sit here in your living room and today become timid. What do you have to lose? I'm terrified that if I walk out, your wife, who I think you love, dies without peace. I also think that you love her enough to where she might keep looking for something after I leave, because I think the Lord might have started something. And I'm terrified that somebody else would come along and schmooze you into a church. That's not going to be what you need. Please come. At the end of it, Walk away. I'll never bother you again. They came. After class one day, Joanne said, I can't come. I can't hardly walk. I said, I'll finish at your house. One day, walking into their house, Joanne was waiting for me and she said, Pastor, I get it. Just tears, but this huge smile. I know heaven is for real. And I'm going to be there because Jesus died to take away my sins. I said, you don't believe that for a minute. She said, yes, I do, damn it. <laughs> I grabbed a hold of my arms. She said, listen to me. I'm going to heaven because Jesus is my Savior. I just called all my children this morning and told them, and I told them they need to, too, because I want to see them there. And I told him, I'm never taking God's name in vain again. From now on, I'm going to say, and then she said, the world's naughtiest word. (laughs) I took her in my arms and I said, Joanna, I love you. We'll get to that in lesson 17. (laughs) I Looked over at Dick sitting in his chair in a corner, and I gave him the look. He just shook his head, and I said, no. He said, yeah, Dave, I do too. I said, you both are full of it. We're still finishing class. (laughs) A few weeks later, I came home late at night, and my wife said, you've been going nonstop since we've been here. You can't keep going like this. I said, I know. I'll try harder. She said, well, can I ask at least how your day was? I said, I think I'm supposed to tell you that it was great. But I just held Joanne's hand while the Lord took her home to heaven. My wife cried. No one can know how much is behind these words. Only the Lord and the two of us knew our former life. Only the two of us knew the eight years in between and all that happened in them. And the last thing I ever expected her to say was if it was all for Joanne, I'd do it again. My wife and I are high school sweethearts. When we met, I was working at a funeral home. It just started as a summer job, and it turned into something that I'd never thought i'd leave and god used that though to teach me things that still affect who i am and how i work today i became an apprentice mortician i learned to embalm and as low man on a totem pole i embalmed a lot but not one complaint <laughs> the record still stands So way off. It's fun to tell your people when they're there and say, you know, if this goes really bad, I'm still your guy. <laughs> if you want me to help fix your hair or makeup, just just be very, very still. <laughs> <laughs> that also meant that I was in an awful lot of hospital rooms, in a lot of homes, at a difficult time in people's lives, and I learned firsthand what genuine kindness and care did for people and how much they truly appreciate that i learned the importance of doing the right thing when no one was watching that served me incredibly well working narcotics and still as a pastor because you spend a lot of time alone there was a plaque on the prep room that said this body is the most precious possession of their family treat it as though they were in the room with you and we did I saw the importance of the good reputation that the owner had in the community. It was incredibly important for him to remember people's names and to greet them by name no matter where he was. I learned the importance of a professional image, whether we were washing the cars or meeting with families or mowing the lawn. I never thought I would do anything different, but we had a little one on the way, and I needed insurance and a little more money, and that's how I ended up at the Sheriff's Department. A whole new world. I started as a deputy working in the jail and that taught me a whole bunch of other things about working with people and how often the inmates were much easier to work with than my coworkers. <laughs> I learned there was going to be an opening in their narcotics unit. We didn't hardly know anything about it and that's what made it so cool. You know, when you don't know what you don't know, it seems so much better. It was secretive. The guys would sneak in and sneak out and nobody knew where their office was. We heard stories that were probably exaggerated. But if you were selected for the narcotics unit, they sent you through police academy, and that would give me something I didn't have. It seemed like that would make the risks worth the gamble, but someone told my wife that the guys who go into the unit come out either dead or divorced or a whole bunch worse off. So she said no. I applied anyway (laughs) and didn't tell her. I thought, well, chances that I would get it were slim and I thought the interview process would be a good experience. a few weeks later, I went in on my night shift and there in the basket was a note, Deputy Rose, now you've been reassigned as detective to the narcotics unit report to the commander. Talk about an odd, do you know what moment. What in the world am I going to tell my wife? I had eight hours to think about it. Well, the next morning, that went well. <laughs> At the end of it, we agreed that I would fulfill the two-year commitment if God would keep me alive and not a day longer. She said, I did not sign up to raise our little girl without her daddy. And I did a whole long hair, beard thing to... Changed my appearance, and I was immersed in undercover work. I worked 24-7. I promised my wife I was going to take New Year's Eve off, and I'd take her out for dinner with another couple. We never did anything together. We couldn't be seen together for my family's safety. So we were going to go out of town with another couple, but my beeper went off. And it was a really bad guy that I had met months earlier would be a real trophy either this was a setup or he was desperate for cash i called the office and i asked him to put the team together and i promised my wife i'll be right back <laughs> stay dressed up i'll be back in just a little bit i tucked my pistol under my seat on my way to meet him and i asked does anybody hear me to see if my body mic was working, and somebody flashed their headlights so I knew somebody could. I was trying to get my mind straight, make sure I was all in the zone for what I was about to do, and a 19-year-old came off the freeway and said he lost his brakes. He was doing over 60, I was doing over 50, and he hit me head-on as I drove by the road below. He hit me so hard that it lifted my Monte Carlo completely off the road and spun me 180 degrees. and I got hit by a pickup truck head on when I landed. I bent the steering wheel. I bubbled the windshield with my head. And when it was all done, I was crumpled up underneath the dashboard. I had so much glass in my face, I thought I was laying on a road in a pile of gravel. I couldn't breathe. I felt myself filling up with fluid, and I knew that's bad. My partners came and were looking for my pistol, looking for my ID. They were just in shock. They were still worried about not blowing my cover. (laughs) And I heard my partner say to the commander that he'll call dispatch and send a squad car, take my wife to the hospital. He said, have a bringer here. And he leaned into the car and he said, Hang on, bud. We're getting your wife. And I tried to whisper, Tell her I love her. And I'm sorry. And then I prayed with the clearest mind I have ever had in my life Dear Lord, I am so sorry for everything. I didn't see any bright lights, didn't hear any voices, but I had a peace that no words can describe. They got me to the hospital, they brought in my wife, she ran out. The doctor said, Where's his daughter? somebody go get his daughter. And I asked the doc, am I gonna make it? And he said, you're hurt real bad, but I'm doing everything I can for you. We've got a helicopter coming. I'm not gonna give you anything for the pain. If you wanna help me, the best thing you can do is stay awake. You know, To this day, I don't wanna fall asleep. <laughs> I went back to the hard and the fast of the unit, almost like I was indestructible. A couple of years later, I got hurt again. Had a bunch of surgeries, got some new parts. After a long recovery, went back to the unit. A couple of years later, I was in again, this time for more than three weeks, and that one almost did me in. <laughs> After a few things like that, you start to wonder, Lord, what do you have in mind? (laughs) Should I be doing something different? (laughs) Well, those two years turned into almost seven years in the unit before I was promoted to detective sergeant. I was transferred to the bureau to work homicide, violent crime. And as crazy as that might sound, my hours improved. (laughs) Unless, of course, things were happening. At the same time, our, our church needed help with the Sunday school program. So I started doing the little service at the start of Sunday school. I did a little devotion, and then the kids would all go off to their separate classrooms. And parents started to stay as they dropped their kids off. And the Lord started to bless the attendance, and the parents would say, why don't you go be a pastor? <laughs> it's not me. Maybe when I retire. And the pastors said, Dave, why don't you consider maybe being a pastor? And I said, no, it's not for me. Maybe when I retire. And that went on for three or four years. And I was preparing for a Sunday school teacher's meeting. And I looked off to my wife. I said, you know, some guy's doing this, and he's not feeling like he has to learn the whole Bible, terrified that somebody's going to ask him a question he doesn't know. But he hasn't been away from his family for the last two weeks straight working homicides. She said, if you want to, you could too. I was walking back to my car after working a grisly scene. And a pastor had come out to meet with a family. And he was walking back with me. His car was parked next to mine. He said, detective, I don't know anything about you. But I think you should be doing what I'm doing. I said, no, that's not for me. Maybe when I retire. I came home in the middle of the night. Three or four in the morning, I got a beer in my Bible. Who doesn't do that? (laughs) Some things still don't change. (laughs) I wasn't looking to read anything in particular. I ended up reading in James, you know, my paraphrase, well, look at you, you're gonna go do this and you're gonna go do that and it's gonna be for this long. Your life's a mist, vanishes and you're gone. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. I prayed every day, Lord, What's your will? (coughs) We visited Martin Luther College and met with a second career committee. We met with a couple of other second career students. I went to a Deutschlander class. We went to chapel. Deutschlander was preaching. The women's choir sang. I couldn't believe that this, this was somebody's day. When we got home, I told my wife I don't want to talk about it. And the next morning, I said, I am so glad we finally did that. Because now I know, I will never be a pastor. (laughs) Before we left MLC, one man, and I know where he lives... I said I don't give my opinions when guys come like this because if this doesn't work out you've walked away from everything and I still have a job but I think you need to be here I couldn't get that out of my head so I got a copy of the Augsburg Confession and I said I'm going to find reasons why I've got the wrong church all along and then my struggle's over But as I read it, it had the exact opposite effect. God had brought me through so much that he did not have to. Would I make it through the next one? Because there would be. And I'd gotten to work every kind of case I'd ever hoped to. It wasn't anything I wished I could have done that I didn't do. So I called my pastor and I told him that this was eating me alive sitting in lawn chairs in his backyard. I said, I have been praying for the Lord's will to be done, and he's not telling me anything. He said, Dave, I love you and your family, and I don't want to lose my fishing buddy, but God's going to keep after you until you go. Sitting in my office in the detective bureau, looking at all the stuff on the walls, I wondered what happens if I call this the first half of my life and call it good? And what do I have to lose, Lord, if you'll have me, if I spend the rest of my life serving you? Because I knew that the peace I had known that night so many years ago was not just to be at peace with dying, it was peace to know that I was forgiven. I'd been in church my whole life. But if I didn't realize what that peace truly was, then there must be others who don't either. Maybe I could tell them. I handed in my letter of resignation. He said, don't do this. Don't be a fool. I said, I don't want to spend the rest of my life wondering if I should have and didn't. As I walked out and I walked past my unmarked car sitting there in the detective row, I almost threw up. I knew I was a fool. I put a for sale sign in my yard. I left my family waving and crying in the driveway. I got a motel in New Home on Sunday night. I started work at the Sheriff's Department Monday morning, got off at 3 o'clock. I found an apartment that afternoon. Tuesday morning, I went into work and the Twin Towers came down. And I knew I had just made the biggest mistake of my life. I bought a house that needed a lot of work and moved my family to come with me about Thanksgiving. And I started MLC in January. One night I was getting ready for work and my wife brought me the phone. It was Chief, the former chief deputy from the Sheriff's Department. I said, Chief? Never called me one time, ever, for anything. Well, okay. (laughs) Maybe a couple of times when I was working because something didn't go right. I said, Chief, you okay? He said, I'm waiting for a helicopter to take me to the University of Chicago Hospital for a heart transplant but I don't think I'm going to make it. I want to call to say thanks for that morning in the duck blind, and I love you. I said, I love you too, chief. But I didn't. Nobody did. (laughs) If you caught three fish, he caught 30 (laughs) with his bare hands. He lived so hard. He drank so hard. He smoked and chewed tobacco and drank at the same time. <laughs> he was the commander of our SWAT unit. He was a man's man. He'd walk past my office in the detective bureau with this real cockiness and say, you know, you ever want somebody to show you how to duck On just ask me to go with you? And I would. Keep asking. <laughs> Well, one morning I said, okay, chief, I'll take you, but if you have a heart attack while we're out there, I'm not rowing you in until I'm done. (laughs) Sitting in the blind early that morning, he said, what makes you different? I said, I wish I was more different, but I'm so much the same. I said, if anything, it's because I've got church, church. And the Lord's important to me. How about you, Chief? He said, No, nah, it's not for me. He said, I believe there's probably a God. It felt so incredibly uncomfortable to say any more. And I said, Well, what's important, Chief, for guys like us is to know that Jesus is our savior. He said, you have no idea who I really am. I said, oh, I think I do. It's for guys like us. When I hung up the phone with Chief, I told my wife I think I might do something stupid. And she looked at me like, (laughs) (laughs) seriously? went to work and I bought a plane ticket I got off work at two in the morning drove home and changed and I drove to Minneapolis caught an early morning flight took a cab to the hospital I didn't even know if he was still alive I walked into his room in the ICU he looked at me looked at his wife he looked at me and he said I just talked to you you're in Minnesota he said is this real it's me chief Why would you do this for me? I said, Last night you said I love you. And I said I love you too. But that was just shock. I've never had a grown man say that before. And I got to thinking if I did, I would do whatever it took to come and tell you about Jesus. You can tell me to leave, and I'll get right back on the plane can I please tell you about Jesus? And he said, I think it's probably a good time for that. And I showed him Jesus on the cross for him. And the Lord grabbed one more. Five years later, the week after Easter, during my vicar year, our pastor graciously allowed me to have Chief's funeral back in our church in Michigan. We thought we'd need a huge facility, and a huge church packed with law enforcement and state officials from all around the state heard a by grace through faith sermon that they might never have heard if I hadn't been foolish enough to hop on a plane to make just one visit. I was assigned to a vacancy in my vicar year at a mission church. They'd been going for seven years. The pastor had left. The mission board said no more. They had $1,000 a month left for one year. And one of the members of the mission board said that his church would take it on as a mission project and come up with some money, and maybe with all of that combined with some offerings, they could get enough money for a vicar. So we went to the seminary and asked if they had an older student who could be on his own for a year, just... Have fun and see what might happen. They moved out of the building that they'd been in, and we found a public elementary school, middle school, that let us rent their gym for $300 a month on Sunday mornings. They let us use a rack of folding chairs. We flipped a table. I brought a tablecloth with me on Sunday morning for our altar and brought a couple candles and a cross with me and a box of hymnals. I thought, there is no way this is ever going to feel like church but it did. It was the Word of God. I don't think there were 20 people in the first service, (laughs) and they all knew this was just on the downslide. I said, you get what you pay for. (laughs) So I could work a homicide today. I have no idea how to do an evangelism, anything. But I've got plenty of courage. If you know anybody, I'll go with you. Or give me their name, give me their address, and I'll go. But I've got an idea. How about we try a little experiment? For the next 364 days, let's use the Word of God and see what it can do. Either we will gather here again, and we will make headlines and prove that God does not do what he says he does. Or we will rejoice with a room full of people because he does. I close my eyes and point to a, a spot on the map, open my eyes, and I drive to that street. And I would sit in my vehicle and not want to get out. And I thought, were well, you kidding me? Look at you. You used to do things that would give people nightmares and go back for more. You don't want to go knock on a door. (laughs) So I would walk up all tough and strong and knock on a door, and these words came out like bricks. They were so hard and so unnatural, at least to start. I'm serving. I'm just looking to find people who don't have a church or who don't know how much Jesus loves them. Do you? Most often they would say, oh, yeah, thanks, we're fine. I'd say, well, are you willing to help me learn something about the area? What, what church are you going to? And they'd say, well, it, we haven't gone for a while. And they'd say, I'd like, you to, invite, I'd like to invite you to come to ours. I'm going to tell you right now, we don't look like much. We sit on folding chairs. We sing terribly. (laughs) But I promise, you'll think you were just in the most beautiful church you've ever been in because of what the Word of God will do for you. And sometimes they'd say, we'll give it a try. We'll stop by. And I'd say, are you? Look at me like, why are you still standing here? (laughs) And I'd say, I don't have long to do this. But if you say you're going to come, I'm going to remember your name and I'll wait outside for you. But if you're not going to come, just tell me and I won't remember your name <laughs> and you're not going to hurt my feelings. And they'd say, okay, we're not going to come. <laughs> I'd say, thank you. Why not? Do you know some of them came? (laughs) I watched a new kind of joy in that little room as the Lord started bringing visitors and bringing them back. I took the box with hundreds of prospect cards from the last seven years and I sat down and pretended I was working a homicide. I didn't stop until I had called or knocked on every single door. Some had moved. Some said they didn't know why they were ever on the list in the first place. Some said they'd found another church, and some gave us another try. One day, my wife reminded me that I had another family that needed my time, too. That's always the uh uh-oh. I told the kids I need to take Mom out for dinner. On the way home, I said, Would you mind if I just stop and knock on one door? Because we're so close, it's on our way. She said, fine. I said, come with me. We knocked on the door, and she answered. I told her why I was there. I had the wrong door all along. But after we visited, she said, will you please come in? I want to show you something. She had a notepad on her table in the kitchen. She said, Said, I've been trying to write a poem or a song or a prayer. She had the title, it was Please Stop the Pain. She said, I bowed my head and folded my hands, and the doorbell rang, and it's you. I said, No. <laughs> you don't make detective either believing people or thinking that they're good. Two hours later, she gave us a hug and said, I'll see you on Sunday. And she brought a friend. We advertised. We did Christmas for kids. We did stuff I didn't have a clue. That's just what you're supposed to do. But nobody came to church because of it. The people that came were because somebody invited them. I was watching people come one by one and watching the Word of God work. On my calls, a man said, I'm 82. Save the stamp for somebody who can use it. Well, what do I have to lose with him? I knocked on his door one day and ended up doing a Bible information class at his kitchen table. I met with a mission board and shared my year, and they decided to find alternative funding and give it another shot for a couple more years. They called a graduate. I moved my family back to Wisconsin, but I stayed down in Illinois to clean the parsonage and get it ready for the new pastor. And the day before I left, a woman called and said, you left a message on my machine a long time ago. My husband just got back from Iraq. He's a Marine, and he's having trouble adjusting. Can you come today? On that visit, he asked, all I need to know is does your church teach that soldiers are killers? And I said, well, are you? He said, I'm asking you. Are you a killer? He flipped. He said, you have no idea what it's like to have people shooting at you and doing what needs to be done. And they have pictures running through your head of things you can't tell anybody about. I said, you might be surprised. <laughs> I said, you know, the Bible talks about a time when some other soldiers wondered about the same thing, if they should be serving or not. And John the Baptist told him to go back and keep serving. And thank God that you are well-trained and equipped and ready to do what you need to do so that a guy like me can be visiting with families like yours in a free country. And so that our little church can be doing what we do every Sunday. And I want you to come. You need to come. Because I can help you. With the word of God. I drove back to Wisconsin on Saturday to get my family. It was one of my little girl's birthdays. My mom called said, Dad's in the hospital. I talked with him and I said, Dad, I've got my final service in Illinois. I'll give you a call in the afternoon I bet you'll be home by then. We drove down early Sunday morning, and my mom called and said, Dave, Dad slipped away. I said, how? That completely took the wind out of my sails. How am I supposed to go and share the love and joy of Jesus with anybody in a farewell service? Cake, stupid cake. And I stood in front of a gym that God had filled with people. And I said, 364 days ago, we said that we would either make headlines or we would rejoice because of what God did. And I am happy. But I also shared that on the drive down, I learned that my father had passed away. There wasn't a dry eye in the building. Right out in the open, just like this, they started saying, let's not do this. We don't have to do this. You go home. Go home with your family. And I said, God can use this to remind us all in a way that we will never forget that when we leave our house and come to church on Sunday morning, it's so much more than church. This is us gathering in a place we need to be for God to strengthen us and to feed us with what we need for the good and the bad. I have no idea how this is going to go. But let's have church, and let's go to that word of God. I learned, we learned that year that building a church had nothing to do with the building. Building a church was first and foremost what God does in a human heart, one by one, as He builds His church. And that's all that mattered. At graduation, I was convinced that I was going to be sent to a large congregation, it would be packed with kids. And God sent me to Leesburg, Florida, where there were no children, not one. The average age was 72. There wasn't 60 people for my installation. Half of those were the pastors and their families. A man introduced himself to me and he said, Pastor, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm your, I'm your elder. I said, man, as I look around, I think you all are. <laughs> The call was supposed to be a rejuvenation mission. So the council had set aside a huge chunk of money so that the new pastor could use that for whatever he wanted for an evangelism program or a stewardship program. But the budget was in the red. And I knew that I couldn't afford to have anyone think that the right program or the right pastor fixed anything. I knew that I was looking at the same people just in a different building that needed to learn that it would be the word of God that would grow his church. One by one, in every heart, starting with those that were already there. And the people had in their minds what church should be, what it should look like, what they wanted it to be, what they wanted to be doing, but it wasn't what the people needed the church to be. The Lord brought new people that very first service. And a couple months later, the council asked if I'd picked out my evangelism or stewardship program. I said, I had. And they said, good. It sure looks like it's working. Just send us the bill. A month later, they said, you're going to send us the bill? I said, okay. I decided I was going to use the Word of God. If that doesn't work, we'll spend some money. But If you're willing, I would like to buy something, but it's a little bit spendy. Fine, whatever. What is it? I said, I'd like to buy an umbrella. (laughs) What the heck does that have to do with evangelism? I said, You see me standing outside greeting every Sunday morning. The first Sunday it rains and I walk someone in, I'll show you. And if you want to buy two, you can help me. One of the council members said, I just have one question. What color were you thinking? A man told me it was time for us to start planning for the Christmas booth downtown. I said, what in the world is that? So we hand out candy and coupons for Bibles, and if they come to church, we'll give them a free Bible. I said, how many have you given away? None. How many people are here because you do that? None. In all the years, how many? None. I said, well, I don't want to do that then. I said, how about we just try one year... Instead of spending time on that, the two of us, just the two of us, try to go find one person and invite them to come. If one does, we win. We found more than one. And as the Lord brought people in, people said, Pastor, this is great. We need to start some groups. I said, Okay. What were you thinking? I said, well, you can do that in the community you live in. And I started to think, I think you just want to do that so that you can get together with people you already know because it's a lot more comfortable than having to meet your neighbors or mixing and doing that in your community with people you don't know. So I said, how about we try something? How about we try having church be church? Church is going to be good every Sunday morning. No matter when the people come, if you invite them, don't worry about it. It'll be good next week, too. And we'll do as many Bible studies as we need to do. These will be the groups and activities that we do. We don't have to do it forever. Let's just try it and see what happens. Let's see what happens if we come here to be fed and strengthened by the word of God. And then you go back out into your communities and do those things where you live. And then God's going to use you to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. And maybe by that, he's going to attract people to come here. Because I think that's the church being the church. I think that's what it looks like when the church is at work. When I meet people during the week, I tell them I'm going to remember their name and I'll wait outside for them. And there's so many blessings because I do. People know they're going to get to talk with me personally every week. No matter what happens, they ask me quietly for a prayer or they tell me about something that happened in their lives. They whisper encouragement or complaints. I get to scold them so quietly if it's one or the other. But people tell their friends and their neighbors, please come, if you do, pastor's going to be waiting outside and he'll remember your name. People don't fill out the guest cards. I ask them, I tell them I don't do anything goofy with them, I tell them I don't have a mailing list, and they still don't fill out the guest cards. So by standing outside, I get to ask their name, I ask where they live, and I ask where they used to live, and just like I used to do in my former life, I track them down. (laughs) I send them a note that I write by hand. If they leave their phone number, I call them. I'm convinced because I'm watching it happen that Bible studies are one of the most important things we can do as a church to strengthen our congregation. I put it in the bulletin, I put it on the email, and I say it in person. I will never, ever ask you to read. I will never, ever call you out of the blue to answer any questions. You don't have to know a thing about your Bible. Just please come, relax, and be well fed. And they do. I've got a Thursday 10 a.m. and a Thursday 7 p.m. Bible class. And about 100 people come. That's a fun and non-scary way for people to be willing to bring friends with them for the first time. And the Lord has done amazing things through that. And I also try to have a Bible information class going on Tuesdays, 10 in the morning, 7 at night, all through the year. When I served the mission, I had to send in a report every month about the visits that I had made or the calls that I made. And I thought, that sounds like a good idea. So I still do. My day planner is one of my best friends. I keep track of my visits. I have a goal in my head of how many I'm supposed to be making every month. And just having that list is a powerful reminder sometime that it's time to get out of the office and go make a couple visits A couple of people, a couple of weeks ago, a couple said, Pastor, don't take this the wrong way, but you smell like a sheep. (laughs) A shepherd who spends time with his people is going to smell like a sheep. Thank you for smelling like a sheep. I get it. Some days you have to smell like office, some days you smell like a leadership conference. But you can't meet the person in bed B if you weren't in that hospital room visiting the person in bed A. Last year I made 1,003 visits. 747 were with members and 256 were with prospects. And 141 of those were in a hospital or a nursing home or memory care unit. I share the number of visits I make with the council each month, and I share with the congregation my annual report of ministry activities. I know, I've shared this with others, they say, you, it's, you can't do that. They have no idea how much time visits make, take to make. <coughs> Excuse me. I said, I know, they take forever, sometimes four hours for nothing with people you'd rather be with four minutes. But they'll know if you're visiting a lot, they'll know that's also going to cost you something. It will cost you time away from some things you really like to do. So you have to take extra care to give special and meaningful time to your family. And you just might have to find some creative ways to do it. 2018, God blessed us with 60 new members and 40 of those were by adult confirmation. That's more than were there when I arrived. Last year, God gave us 64 new members. Only 30 were adult confirmation, but we've already had more this year. Last year, 19 members died. That is so many. That is a lot of time sitting at bedsides. But I'm going to tell you, people see that you do. And your members will be thanking you in heaven for it. As of Sunday, we have 380 baptized members, and 371 of those are communicants. (laughs) But we also have what we call winter members who visit during the winter months, anywhere from a week to six months. So we've got over 450 adults in a demographic with a lot of needs. It takes a lot of time. But in over 10 years, I've never had a secretary. That's going to change. But I know for a fact, you can do a lot of ministry if God gives you the strength, if God gives you the health, and if God gives you the zeal. And if the Holy Spirit is always reminding you how important your visits with people are and what the peace is that you have to share with them, Every now and then, go ahead and be inefficient with your time to be effective. I sure don't have to, but I walk the DVDs and the bulletins for our shut-ins into the post office each week. I could put them in the box, but when I walk in, it's like cheers. The postmaster says, Pastor, I say good morning, and I know when I walk out, he's going to tell the people who that was when the people ask, Pastor, Where? Every now and then, instead of mailing all of them, I'll keep a couple out and I'll stop at the communities the people live in and I'll deliver the DVD in person because I know I'm going to meet people walking in, walking out. Our members have come from such a wide variety of faith backgrounds churched, unchurched, dechurched. They didn't know anything about Lutheran, they sure didn't know anything about Wells, but they tell their friends and neighbors that Wells is the best church they have ever been to in their entire lives because of what they found in this one. Give your members reason to say the same thing about yours. Good church, great Bible studies, don't be weird, don't be boring. Show them the word of God applied to their head and to their heart and the joy that he has for them in it. Show them a visit, a pastor who visits. That Marine that I mentioned earlier and his wife came on that farewell Sunday, my vicar year. And after the service, they asked if I would baptize their son before I left. And I asked if they'd please be willing to wait till the new pastor comes next week so that he could develop a relationship with them. About a year later, their new pastor called me. He said, she was pregnant when you visited them. But a test showed that something was wrong and they decided to terminate the pregnancy. But I just baptized a beautiful baby girl with Down syndrome because God changed their mind. How important was that visit that day for that little girl? This one by one is worth our very best if it's all to show one Jesus. I walked a man who was dying of cancer through a Bible information class at his bedside Actually, that happens a lot. But I did because a neighbor told his wife that her pastor would come and see them if they wanted. A few months later, I had two other people taking a Bible information class because all of his neighbors that came to his funeral heard an invitation to please speak with me if you don't have a pastor who will be able to preach a personal funeral sermon when you die. A few months later, his wife came with her daughter and took the class. And a couple of years later, she moved to be closer to family. And I called the pastor where she moved to. And a month later, he was teaching a Bible information class with 14 of her family members in her living room. That's the church being the church. That's the church at work. I mean, that doesn't show up on a statistical report but they're all going to be in heaven that's kind of important too (laughs) two weeks ago I took a poinsettia to a woman who had visited twice but she didn't come for Christmas and she didn't come the Sunday after I said I just happened to be in your neighborhood she invited me to come in she said your worship is just so different than what I'm used to I'm 88 I'm so set in my ways I just went back to what was familiar. I just thanked God for her faith in Jesus as her Savior, assured her that she's fine, doesn't need to be in our church, just needs to be hearing the Word of God. When I left, she held on to my hand and said, thank you for taking the time to visit me. You made me feel like I matter. I said, well, you do. And you sure do to Jesus. On Sunday morning, she walked up the parking lot, and I said, what are you doing here? (laughs) She said, I just want to be where I'm supposed to be. When the time and the message is right, work a story of the encouragement or the comfort or the joy that God worked through one of your visits for somebody. One of my members said, one of the best things about this is that you don't just tell us to go and share Jesus, you show us how and how easy it can be. A cashier asked a member how he was doing when he went through her line on Sunday after I said, remember, if you find anybody, tell them your pastor will come and see him. She asked him how he was doing and he said, better now after hearing a message of how much God loves us. She said, would you pray for my husband? He has cancer. He got his name and the hospital he was in and he stopped by and he said, would you like my pastor to visit you? And the next day, I was sitting in his room having an amazing conversation while they were hooking up the IVs for his first chemo treatment. There are so many miracles I call them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because I'm convinced it's going to happen each day. That's just God's like that. One by one. One of my favorite pictures is a man who was walking on a beach the morning after a great storm had blown thousands of starfish onto the beach. They can't get back on the water on their own, and the sun would bake them. He started picking them up one by one and tossing them back into the ocean. There was a man standing out on his balcony looking down, and he said, they go on for miles like that. You can't save them all. And he bent down and picked one more and threw it in the ocean. He said, well, it just made all the difference in the world for that one. Work hard to keep things as simple as you can so that you can be doing what you need to be doing. The devil doesn't want you to be. Your sinful nature doesn't want you to be. He'd rather keep you so busy with so much that doesn't really matter in the end. When people want to start something new, summon up the courage or take some of mine with you to ask, how is that going to help our church be the church? And don't do it if it won't. In my former life, there were times if someone didn't step up to lead, people would get hurt or die. At this very moment, there is someone you have not met yet that is counting on you to step up and lead, to lead them to Christ so they will live. You don't have to grow by a thousand, you can grow by one. We leave here to work as hard as we can to find them. Who leaves here today thinking, "Well, I'm going to give it a half effort." This is all in. We don't have a long time to do it, some of us less than others. But God has placed you where He wants you to be for this day. He has. Even if you think it's a mistake, just see what happens. He's given you unique gifts and abilities. You don't have to have others. He's given you the life and experiences that he has just for you, including using this conference to shape and to guide you for who you are and how you're going to work. Lead. Lead one more to Christ. Lead by example for your church and your people. Lead for all the churches around you, for what a visiting pastor and a visited flock looks like. Don't let the devil distract you from being wherever the Lord needs you to be to do it. God can use you to make all the difference in the world for just one. And if that's all it is, that's enough. Because I know in my soul the peace that the Lord has in mind to give them. Dear Christian, I don't say this lightly. I commit to pray for you. Even if it's maybe just for the next 364 days to see what the Lord can do. I'm going to pray for our synod. I'm going to ask that the Lord give you strength and zeal, and good health, and that he makes you faithful, and fruitful, and joyful. Dear Lord, to your glory, and for the building up of your kingdom, please, grow your church. Amen. Thank you. God, God works an amazing thing in our families when he has them support us working really dumb hours to share Jesus with people who sometimes don't show their gratitude uh, for what time you give them, and then they die, and you're looking at a box, and you're thinking, well, that was worth it. But it really is, and our families are special, so it's near and dear to my heart because I neglect mine a lot. But God has worked in them a spirit from my wife all the way through all of our children and now even in my grandchildren. They love the fact that one more person is going to know about Jesus because of what I'm doing. It's just really cool to see. Yes. it's an appropriate question. The question is, if I lead by example, how does that show up in the congregation among the people's lives? And this is why I say, please share some stories. I, you know, I think, well, that's just a private thing, but People say, Pastor, thank you so much for sharing that in a Bible study because it gives them confidence and an example of how easy it is, I say easy, it's hard, to open your mouth and ask, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Or to ask, do you have a church? I tell people the most more important question to ask them is if they have a pastor and if they have a pastor who visits them. Because many people will say, yes, I have a church. But they're not going or they have a church and their pastor has never been in their home, and they don't greet their pastor on the way into church. So if, if you can have your people ask, do you have a pastor who visits you? They'll say no. And you can say, mine will if you'd like him to. And this isn't to steal people away from churches. This is people who aren't getting what they need. So... But yes, the people hear these things and they see these things and they look at the visits and they have been visited themselves. There's not a person that doesn't have, um, who hasn't had me in their, in their home. So there's a confidence that builds up then. And they're hearing this again and again in the Bible studies. So they are going out. I mean, you talk about like the friends, relatives, and neighbors. This is what it looks like when it works. We don't advertise anywhere. I don't mail anything except for a card that says, I'm glad you were here on Sunday morning if they come. But this is all people telling people that if you want, my pastor will come visit you because they know I do. So this is people sharing sometimes in the first time in their lives and inviting people to come with them. It's an amazing thing to see. But I'm telling you, this is like simple. This is just simple. It's just working hard. My captain used to have us work 24 hours straight on a homicide. And if he thought we'd have somebody in the pokey, we'd work another 24. And every now and then, he'd have us work 72 straight. And there was no complaining. There's nothing that coffee and nicotine can't get you through. (laughs) What what does it look like if if we work... I mean, you can't do that, right? Or can you? (laughs) What does it look like if we work hard like that for Jesus? And I know that sounds corny, but I kind of mean it. Yes? What does it look like inside your congregation? Oh. Being only one man who <laughs> greet people at the door, and then what happens when you're talking to someone else? Have they stepped up to embrace new people, to sit with them in fellowship? Or have you done anything to make that happen outside of your... One hand. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I don't greet at the door. If I would, I would never get to talk to another person. People will come, just commandeer your time, manipulate your time. Just, you talk to one or two people if you stand inside the back of church. So I stand out in a parking lot where they walk up the sidewalk, and that's where I get to greet people. I get to set the tone for how they're going to walk into our church. I get to be the, the person that I'm going to complain about if somebody set the tone in the wrong way for somebody coming in for the first time. So I'm out in the, at the edge of the parking lot when they walk up the apron sidewalk thing, and then there's another couple greeting at the door. And once they get inside, there's always people milling around in the narthex who will say hi And, uh, you know, I praise them for being warm and welcoming when people... Sometimes you have to to work hard so that it's not too many people welcoming, because that's weird. (laughs) When I first arrived, it was awful. I mean, we walked in through a gauntlet, and there was like five, six women greeting, and then the men sitting in chairs along the wall, you know. (laughs) And then we got through the guards at the doors to the church... And we sat down and, and come by. We we're singing the first hymn. We need your green card. And my wife's like, and I said, shook my head, no. And she said, we'll fill it out later. He said, we do it now. <laughs> I'm t- I'm, when we left, one of my daughters was in tears at the table. And she, I said, what's the matter? She said, I don't like it. I said, I don't either. <laughs> I said, that was Awful. Come on, man, but what terrifies me is there's another church who's doing that very thing this last Sunday. Nobody's gonna come back. Nobody will come back. You can't be weird like that. (laughs) Can't. It's like, this is a mystery. It's not a mystery. That was bad. (laughs) They're not gonna come back. So I tell my people look at you, you're scary looking. So you got to be nice to the person who sits down next to you, or they'll just think you're scary. And they take it so very well, and they have a lot of fun. If you're ever in Leesburg, please come, because it's amazing. When you come in a church, you're sitting in the middle of people who are so glad that this is their church. They thank God for this church, and they didn't have a clue before They just know they're in a place where they're hearing the word of God and they've been in the word of God for the first time in a way that's applying it to their lives. I'm telling you, these are some people who have been in church, but stuff that you hear when you're 12 and 13 mean nothing to you. But you put some experience in that life in this body and some of these same exact things that you're hearing in church or Bible study all of a sudden flood you with comfort and encouragement. So church can be an amazing thing. And these are people from all over the place that are just so glad this is their church. And it's, it, you can feel it in the air. And I hate feelings, but you can feel it in the air. I think, that, I, think I got that from that first Deutschlander class. <laughs> I think that's probably my time. Thank you so very much.